Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. And my co-host, my co-chair for the day, is a writer, a director, a producer. Uh, You have been watching her work for years, whether it's in the form of producing something like the VHS anthology series. You have been watching her directorial work, perhaps in short form like the anthology Southbound or XX, which is also producer. Or maybe you have seen uh, some of her feature directing work, Body at Brighton Rock, or there's the new movie coming out, There's Something Wrong with the Children. And then, of course, we cannot forget the smattering of television directing work you have done for shows like The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and Riverdale and Creepshow. Roxanne Benjamin, what else do the people need to know about you before we get started? That's about it. That's all I got. It felt fairly (laughs) comprehensive. Yeah. To open it up with the new work, um, give us the line on there's something wrong with the children. I will say children horror movies just upset me to no end because they the watching them kind of when you know it's a child horror movie, and you know, they're going to kind of it's like, OK, they're going to get away with anything. It's like, yeah, they would like they would. That's yeah. absolutely what would happen. We would be at their mercy. And it's I'm angry and I'm very angry that that is true. <laughs> Yeah, so what can I tell you about the movie? It's uh, two couples go for a friendly, fun weekend getaway in the woods. And one couple has the other couple watch their kids mm-hmm. um, so they can rekindle some romance in their relationship. Indeed. And um, said other couple manages to lose those kids overnight. And when they find them, when they come back, one of them believes that the kids are not as they seem. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. horror movie um ensues yeah now if you if you were if you were uh if you were to put yourself in the shoes of like these characters are you couple with kids or are you couple negligently losing track of kids which would be oh, the more I Roxanne am, Benjamin I'm probably the evil kids honestly but like okay. I am hardcore the couple with no kids that <laughs> no one trusts their children to because <laughs> I'll be like, it'll be like a week later and we'll be like, so we crossed the border. We got tattoos, uh, <laughs> uh, lost track of them somewhere around uh, Arizona. So, yeah, you know, that would be me. Well, the the character that you have brought uh, for us to discuss today is a real um, older millennial Gen X tentpole. Uh, so who are we discussing today that that is a, a quality touch point for you, Roxanne? Today we are talking about Daria. La, 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 la. This is my stuff. Got to get off. I make up. Excuse me. Excuse me. I've got to be direct. The titular Daria. <laughs> now, did you were you a Daria watcher in its first run when it was coming out with new stuff, or were you like binging Daria? later on catching up down the line oh no i was watching it as it came out yeah definitely as it came out because i was one of said elder millennials yep that's me i was in you know high school the end of high school when it came out and just getting into college so it was kind Mm -hmm. of right around my junior senior year of high school i think when it came out that feels kind of perfect um yeah and then right into right into college from there and there's like a couple of like college things that happen at the end of the end of the series i think so it felt very it was like of its time and also i was of the exact same age as the characters so yeah 
does that mean like you within your daily high school life? Were you sort of were you floating through it and sort of observing and commenting on it as Adaria does? Were you yes. sort of like blithely disconnected from the environment? Right here and now, let's pledge to make Daria's dream a reality. You mean the one where people walking down the street burst into flames? The coffee house. We'll plan it, locate it, raise the money, and open it. Would that qualify as an extracurricular activity? Of course. Then I'd like to register as a conscientious objector. Yes, I got called Daria a lot by a lot of people. Oh, really? This was like yes. literally, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't just me like, uh, you know, responding to this character or feeling like I saw myself. Everyone else also saw me <laughs> in this character. <laughs> was that then, was that a welcome identification when people like would dub you Daria? Were you like, yes, absolutely. That is true. Thank you so much. Uh, or were you like, I don't know, I yes. don't see it. No, I definitely saw it. I definitely okay. saw it. Uh, me and my small group of misfits, we definitely saw it. Um, there's a point, I think, in the series where she refers to herself as the misery chick. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's how everybody sees us. You know, um, we were these just kind of weird misfits in this very small rural town. And Daria is set in kind of like a suburb. Mm. But, uh, you know, all felt very kind of of a kind to everything that it was making fun of on the show mm -hmm. or that it was commenting on on the show and um i feel like that was my go-to kind of response which mm -hmm. you can probably see in a lot of like in my movies as well as just this sort of like stoic deadpan humor mm -hmm. i guess yeah <laughs> to what's happening in the scenario uh so yeah that was that was definitely my coping mechanism was this almost exact personality of this character. And did you feel like there were those well-worn archetypes that make up the kind of world of Daria and make up the sort of popular imagination of what high school is? Your Quinn cheerleaders, your misery chicks, your your trays and like your jocks. Did you, was that the landscape around you as well? Were you living the yes. sort of archetypal high school experience? 100%, 100%. It was very breakfast club up in there. Um, <laughs> Also, it's like a small rural town. This is pre-internet, mm -hmm. uh, which most people might not remember. Uh, you know, it's kind of, I feel like it was also referred to as like the Oregon Trail generation. I'd heard that term of like kind of. That's 100% me. Like 79 to like 84 or something like that of like this generation that we were the last ones to grow up without the internet and also mm -hmm. have to like bridge the gap between these kind of like Gen Xers and boomers and kind of the younger generation who grew up with nothing but that. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. So I don't know, it was a very kind of like unique experience, I think. And we didn't have a lot of the outside influences. So there was definitely mm -hmm. a sense of like, if you don't fit into these cookie cutter things within the stereotypes that are there, like it was mm -hmm. a very existentially lonely Okay. place to be as much as it's this like gorgeous Allegheny woods of Pennsylvania it's very alienating when you're kind of like a creative weirdo mm. uh who doesn't feel like you fit into like these molds of mm -hmm. uh you know what what the stereotypes are you just have like someone's like older brother or older sister who like comes back from college and like has cool music that they show you like that it's when that still happened and like they show you like cool records and you're like there is an escape we just have to make it <laughs> and then we can get out of here well i'm wondering like when like you know thinking in terms of like you know 
going for a TV character instead of a film character and then having, were you much of a film watcher um, when you were in high school? No, not at all. Because okay. all we had was like, a we had a blockbuster and then we had like a, an independent video store that was also like a gas station and also had tanning beds. So <laughs> there was that. And that was on the other side of town. The closest thing was like a blockbuster. So it was just like you were still going off of like the covers as like the uh-huh. thing. When did you start get Because like the 90s feels like it was kind of proliferate with female star figures with star figures mm-hmm. that kind of Daria would not have been out of place on a on a red carpet or in a scene photo alongside like a Natasha Leone and a Chloe Savigny and a Christina Ricci and like when a Fiona you, Apple or something yes exactly exactly and so yeah. like when when kind of when did you start becoming aware of like cinematic counterparts to a dark and like start engaging with film in your own way to be like okay this is an access point for me and also something I'm interested in beyond being casually connected to it in that time period like during high school I would say it was like Empire Records and the Craft oh man there you go I watched over and over and over again and those were and Empire Records was one that was like completely like out of nowhere because it was it never came out like in theaters, right? Isn't that? And it it was like I I saw it. My friends and I saw it on MTV because of the music video, and we were yeah. like, "What is this movie?" Yeah, like the what, like what Sugar High. Movie? Yeah, or, well, oh, it wasn't yeah. that. It was something else. I think it was a different music video, but it has a lot of footage from the movie. Oh, like and when we they like, would do don't... the music videos that were just like like Brian Williams. Everything I do, I do it for you. Is just a montage of Robin Hood. Yes, and totally. yes, and like Aerosmith is just a like. What is the uh, Armageddon song? It's just a montage of, of scenes yeah. from Armageddon. Oh, yeah, that golden yeah. era of the music video. Yeah, it's weird how much MTV, I think, really shaped like the it really did shape the culture of like the 90s because that's that was like our Internet. That's all we had. That was you know? where you watched Daria, right? Yeah, that and liquid television. There was all kinds of like weird, bizarre late night like music videos and like. Oh, and I called Brian. I called Brian Adams, Brian Williams. Sorry to Brian Adams, <laughs> who is not Ryan Adams either. Sorry to Brian Adams about everything really I do, those I do together. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of weird shit on there late night, too. Uh, oh yeah, play? late night MTV and early morning MTV ruled. Yeah. I would watch MTV yeah. before I would go to school in the morning. Yeah, but the craft was a big one too because that was mm-hmm. also kind of like goth teen misfits. <laughs> you know, the we are the weirdos, Mister. Oh yeah, Girls, watch out for those weirdos. <laughs> we are the weirdos, Mister. God, I always wanted to do a remake of that movie. <laughs> now were you were you the did the goth goth girl sensibility did that carry you through into college or how long was that sort of your a, a strong identifying character proto goth god i feel like it's still that's like my inner okay core. my my inner child is definitely like a goth teen um at like you know listening to like dark wave uh, writing bad poetry and smoking clove cigarettes um to this day you are still the dream of the 90s, Roxanne Benjamin. <laughs> the dream of the 90s is alive in you. Yeah, I don't know if I, like, you know, I kind of had my phase of, like, the dyeing my hair black and, like, dark makeup and all that stuff. But uh, I kind of grew out of that but still kept the attitude, I think, sure. and music taste. 
uh, that went along with it through my early college years. But I also was kind of all over the place. Like I, mm-hmm. I lived abroad for a while. Um, you know, so moved. Daria, Daria would totally. I went to like abroad. three different colleges, like in different states. So I was kind of a bit all over the place, uh, and all all of it was like amazing to me because like I you know growing up at like where it's like we have more cows than people, yeah, um, and more deer than people. Uh, yeah. it's, everything is like an urban, like sophisticated environment, you know. Right. Well, then I'm wondering when, when you started making things for yourself, when you when you started producing, when you started directing were like for to come in with like a tv character as opposed to a film character in a situation like this did you feel like you were getting from movies what you needed or was it like i'm gonna start doing this because i feel like there are are holes that i need to fill of things that i would like to see man that's a tough question big question yeah, because I, I don't know if I really came at storytelling from a way of trying to portray myself on screen in any way. Sure. But even um, just as a matter of like what you felt like there was, was there an absence of to you around what you did want to see? Or were you just like, no, I've seen what I want and I want to be a part of making that myself? I think it's more in that regard. But okay. uh, I really came to film in a backwards way, I think. I didn't go to film school. I went to like, uh, I got a theater degree and like creative mm. writing degree. So it was like writing and theater and and really like production man- management, stage management. And I was working at um, the Belcourt Theater, which is in Nashville. It's like an art house, mm. calendar house theater. And it was the old original Grand Old Opry. And you can oh, go wow. behind the screens there because there's like the stage. Mm-hmm. And I would just sit back there and watch people watch movies like a total creep um and that's what made <laughs> me want to move from like working in nonprofit arts management is like my goal is to so working mm. into like entertainment is watching people watch movies in this art house theater oh wow so I, I weirdly came to film from the idea of like wanting to affect people in a mm. certain way rather than like a specific story to tell and the things that like I was also a huge horror fan and I I grew up more in horror uh horror books than like horror mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. I think other than like what was on cable because again it's like there was no real mm-hmm. engine of like recommendation mm-hmm. you know back then. So it was either like something Gil- Gilbert Godfrey introduced me to at late night <laughs> <laughs> like on on USA up all night uh Gonzo movies were like our public access played like Romero movies all the time mm-hmm. and I read a lot of like Stephen King and like Anne McCaffrey and like, or not Anne McCaffrey, Anne Rice, although mm-hmm. also Anne McCaffrey because I was a big <laughs> fantasy nerd. But uh, <laughs> a lot of Stephen King, Anne Rice, and like Dean Koontz books. Um, mm-hmm. So that was kind of like my horror base, I guess. And I came from like more of like the writing and storytelling perspective than like a visual perspective mm-hmm. and like more of working with like actors, I think, on the theater side than. Then, like a cinematic perspective, where I feel like a lot of my cohort came from, yeah. if, from everything from like a movie background and like visual aspect of storytelling, mm-hmm. where I feel like mine is more emotionally based and character based from, I guess, what my background is there. Mm-hmm. But horror felt like a no brainer because that was what always made me happy and like cheered me up, like just mm-hmm. dealing with like any sort of stress. Uh, in a theater with a bunch of people where like you get scared and then laugh about it. Yeah. 
uh, and roller coaster horror, as I deem it, which is what feels like the craft is and like movies like Final Destination. I have absolutely described I have described movies as as uh, horror movies as roller coaster movies. Like I yeah. that I think when I saw Annabelle comes home, I was like somebody asked me and I was like, it is a perfect roller coaster horror movie. And I think that accurately conveyed the experience of watching it. So I'm glad that you have latched onto that as well. Yeah. So roller coaster horror and slumber party horror is the other yeah. the other term I use a lot of slumber party horror that you just want to share with a bunch of people and mm-hmm. like get scared and be dumb. Uh, so those were the kind of stories that I wanted to tell. And that was like the kind of thing I wanted to portray. And usually it comes from, I think, the misfit character or the kind of like acerbic character commenting on what's happening i guess Mm -hmm. is is where i feel like a lot of my writing comes from so in that regard i guess i do put myself in my writing in that way it's like it's Mm -hmm. that's always the character i gravitate towards and is the easiest to write for me Mm -hmm. Um, yeah like in body right rock you're commenting your star of that is like she's 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 a bit of a fish out of water in her new context as like Mm -hmm. a, a park ranger and then so she is she would be the most out of her depth person to deal yeah. with the situation she finds herself in and is sort of like lovably uncomfortable in her environs. Yeah. That one was like an interesting one because that came out of just this idea that I had seen all of these movies that were like, you know, it's like someone who's out, like you say, out of their depth. And then within like five minutes of the movie, they're suddenly an expert in like their scenario <laughs> and they're just like battling everything and like coming out on top. And I was like, what if you had just like a dope? Yeah. To, like, <laughs> What if she was, was like, bad at this a lot? What if she was bad at everything? It was just like, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck to do. My brain's going to shut down. Oh. And, but like, then she has to get through it anyway because that's life. Like, you don't get mm-hmm. to just like call in sick and like you have to like do it anyway if you're in a scenario. So that was like where that idea kind of generated from was like mm-hmm. more of just, she never really is better. She's just got to like live through it. And sometimes living through it is good enough. Um, yeah. the stuff I want to write and the stuff that I want to make movie wise myself is much more in the vein of like yeah like a Jennifer's body or uh you know <sighs> I feel like I really associated with Juno a lot too when that came mm. out and I also got compared to that character a lot hey yeah um I'm, I'm just calling to procure a hasty abortion what I, can you just hold on for a second I'm, I'm on my hamburger phone which feels like another <laughs> version of Daria. Yes, no, it really. absolutely it's 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 Daria with with Diablo Cody in her mouth. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, you know what I find interesting about like I one of my favorite like misassessments of Jennifer's body when it came out is the the sort of snide undercutting of the the language that Diablo Cody uses in in her scripts and and particularly at that time heavily affected in that way and I remember it sort of being described at the time as like this is just so rooted in the present it's going to become dated so quickly and I remember like thinking a you're being really disrespectful of just like a highly stylized like very femme way of presenting like a vernacular like a teenage vernacular and also this isn't anchored to any fucking time these people don't sound like teenagers in 2009 they sound like teenagers in diablo cody's head so i find actually like the diablo speak in that movie to me has actually aged even better because we realized that like that wasn't a time capsule of 2009 it was a time capsule of this screenwriter, this artist and creative in that moment in her career. And that yeah. doesn't mean it's just like dated by the time we get to it. It's just like, what a fascinating artifact and like the timeline of this person who writes screenplays. 
kind of feel the same way about Clueless because it's not really like agree. No one. It's incredibly stylized, and no one actually talked like that. No one ever said they were riding the crimson wave when they were on their period until yeah. after maybe they saw Clueless and they were like, "That's cheeky. Like I'll do that." Exactly. But it's a movie that, if anything, created a kind of like a micro vernacular among really big appreciators of it. But it didn't draw from like how we were talking. Yeah. Yeah, which is why, because I feel like a lot of TV tries to do that in the moment now yes. when they're kind of seeing what's out there. And I feel mm-hmm. like in the next six months, we're going to have like a lot of scripts where the teenagers are saying like, it's giving, it's giving. And it's going to be like, this <laughs> yeah. is going to feel so dated. Like, you don't understand. Like, you can't do this. Like, this doesn't work this way. Like, <laughs> it's so sped up at this point. Like the the culture and the vernacular that like you you kind of have to make your own the way that uh, the yeah. way that Jennifer's body does, or it's just going to sound ridiculous. It's time for us to take a break, and then we will be back with Roxanne Benjamin. And later, I will have one quick thing before I go about what we won't be seeing at the Oscar nominations this year. So we're just going to vent about that a little bit at the end of the show. Stick around. parenting. It's hard, but don't worry, you're not alone. Belly up to the low bar with One Bad Mother and let us remind you that fine is good enough. They want to climb on different things. And how am I supposed to keep them both from dying? (laughs) There is a right way to do this. And if I can figure out that right way, I'm going to be a good parent. So that is not a thing. So join us each week and let us tell you that you are doing a good job. You can listen to One Bad Mother on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Bullseye, Tom Hanks, as you've never heard him before, mad. You moron. Thank you for the use of the turn signal. Way to use your blinker, idiot. That's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to Feeling Scene. I've been talking with film and television director Roxanne Benjamin, whose new movie is called There's Something Wrong with the Children. If that sounds like a headline that might appear on Six Sad World, that's no surprise. Let's get back to our conversation about MTV's Daria and all she represents. Next on Six Sad World. Regarding like part like sleepover horror and roller coaster horror, um, would you ever, do you feel interested in teen horror? With like, we're talking about Daria, we're talking about things like the craft. Does teen horror or teen genre live in you at all? Or are you like, ah, oh, it's not me anymore. It's not where I'm at. You know, that's a tough one because I've done so much kind of like teen murder mystery TV at this point. Right, yeah. It's been like five TV shows yeah. in a row, I think, that are kind of within that same vein, within that same very niche genre Mm-hmm. of uh which is kind of fun because then it's you know you're dealing with all this like teen romance stuff and teen drama but then also like murders and you're getting to shoot some action action stuff and some some like good horror scenes and stuff like that but at the same time it's not really i don't know i feel like i would be much more interested in doing something like the crow um mm. which was another like mid 90s touch point for me um that deals with maybe e- even like a younger more precocious uh, female character 
Or, I love the angsty know. cusp Gen Xer of you. I love I love how much of yeah. that you're bringing to the table. Really, really going for that. Really going for that. <laughs> Want to bring that back. Want to bring that back. Um, but I also feel like as a teenager, what I liked was seeing like older characters. You know, you want to see characters in like college and stuff like that for the yeah. most part. Like that's what I feel like was such a draw for like Empire Records. It's like they didn't feel like they were in high school. It felt like these are kids who were like off on their own, like yeah. working at a cool record store, like... <laughs> post-college or still in college so something more like in that world is like that feels like what what draws me i think mm-hmm. although i even just said like yeah i'd love to do the craft <laughs> yes <again. laughs> i mean listen i would kind of like to see each uh, each person's the craft like there are certain movies that i kind of just want to see done kind of infinity times let's make that an acting exercise somebody gets a craft every year to do with what they fit yeah. what they see fit yeah um no, it's like I, Spider-Man. Because, it's like every two or three years we get a new one. Yeah. And it's the same story, so why not? Yeah, <laughs> so why not? And I am I have got the chance to to talk to like Ty West about this, and I wanted to get your read on it too because you were obviously right there. Um, I was, uh, when he came on here, I talked to him about what did you, what was sort of the experience like of the time in the early 2000s being a part of like the, the anthology era and when the VHS, co- you know, the VHS collective, that movement popped up and it sort of planted the seeds for what would sort of I think be yielded from that crop yes oh yes and David Bruckner too I I was based on that um yield what we would yield later as like the crop from these seeds planted five to ten years later who we're seeing now making their their features their feature films Mm -hmm. what was that period in filmmaking like for you and sort of what did it feel like perhaps in comparison to now Good question. It's hard to tell because I'm older now and like all of us are right. older and we had that kind of like within a certain time period where we we're all very early in our careers, mm-hmm. including me as a producer and all of them as yeah. like writer directors. And we were all kind of like on the horror film circuit going to yeah. all of these different film festivals and stuff. And uh, just from getting to know each other and, and fighting about movies really is how that came about. And then it's like also that you have the time to make that kind of stuff in between other stuff that you're trying to make. Because mm-hmm. it's not that big of a commitment as a filmmaker when you're making this small piece of something versus having to make the whole thing. For mm-hmm. me, it was the whole thing because I was there through all of it. And <laughs> yeah, for you, it was them, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and it was, I don't know, it was very kind of like reaction, I think, to, I feel like we had a glut of like, um copycat horror that was still happening from Blair Witch like OG Blair Witch at that point and then had gone through like the a bit of the like saw like very hardcore uh violent gore torture era of yeah of horror and it's like we all kind of wanted to get back to something lighter Mm -hmm. and a lot of those guys we all had the same sensibility in that regard so Mm -hmm. it was fun to try to make something all together in that way and then yeah from there even like southbound i feel like is much more like kind of sarcastic and right around Mm -hmm. then adam and simon were making you're next as well and Mm -hmm. which was like kind of a throwback to scream in that same same vein of just this almost like commentary on horror horror Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh that allowed itself to like not take itself too seriously and and could be fun at the same time as being like scary and it's more like thrilling I didn't like your next when it first came out because I was not experiencing it. I was not watching it correctly and I did not see that it was doing that. So I was like, what this dumb movie? Like, what's it? And then years later, I went back to it and I was like, 
oh, like, I see what the, like, I, everything I thought was, like, a misfire was completely intentional. And was like, oh, and this is all on purpose. This yeah. is some great shit we've got here. Wow. It's like, it's like the final destination of, like, home invasion movies, you know? <laughs> so it's very, like, almost... How can you make something meta within that genre if that genre is so kind of tired? And I feel like we're kind of back to that a little bit right now, which is fun, even with like things like Barbarian that like, mm. you know, it, it, ter- it takes a hard left turn and becomes something that's like a commentary on something else. But it's also like really funny, even though it's really dark at the same yeah. time. Uh, and that's a hard thing to pull off. I think you have to really know the ins and outs of the genre for that to work. Um, but that stuff's more my jam. I, I love like, you know, Rube Goldberg horror. Like that's, uh-huh. I'm all about it. Uh, the stuff that it's just like more fun to see. Uh, I'm all about jump scares too. Like it's just mm-hmm. the cheapest. Good. I, I'm here for the cheap seats. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, me too. That's- Absolutely. I feel like a thing about cheap seats horror that I really love is that it's not, not categorically, but I feel like there's a sincerity about roller coaster horror, about cheap mm-hmm. seats horror. That like, look, guys, we're all here to have fun, right? And so do you find, like, with a with a touchpoint character like a Daria or like a like a Rory Cochran in an Empire Records, do you find yourself hewing more in your own storytelling toward wanting to infuse cynicism into or 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 you know realism or i i feel like cynicism is a sort of stigmatized word into something mm-hmm. sincere or do you want to make these sincere works like what, what's your sort of point of view on sincerity versus sarcasm that's a tough one i feel like you need both you know yeah. you need at least a sprinkle of both the same the same way that i feel like i don't i get very bored in horror movies that take themselves seriously that tend to be like the classics of our genre because there isn't that kind of sprinkle of like sardonic commentary there isn't that sprinkle of like tension relieving like humor in a moment Mm -hmm. that i feel like you have to have you have to have that so you don't just get so it doesn't start to feel like a drone Mm -hmm. across the whole movie like unless it's something I don't know. I mean, honestly, the most terrifying movie I saw in the last couple of years was like Shiva Baby. Like that was I was on like <laughs> fingernails. The first thing gripped. I was thinking of as you were talking was Bodies, 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 another Rachel Sennett starring yeah. scene stealing role. Yeah, like fingernails into the like chair, like could not sit through the movie. It was so tense of like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so like unless it's a movie like that which tend to have a shorter runtime and you can like make it through that. Like it's not fun to stay in fight or flight that long. You know, (laughs) it's, you need the, like, you need the tension breaker in there. And and, and that's the kind of like, I don't know, that's the thing that I'm drawn to. So I do feel like I have to add that bit of not necessarily cynicism, cynicism, but just like a gallows humor. I also Mm -hmm. like, I come from a family built on gallows humor. I think. Okay. Um, that, uh, if you didn't, you know, it's one of those, like, if you didn't laugh, like you'd just explode kind of (laughs) things. So like, I feel like that works its way a lot into my work. Um, just from like, you know, dealing with like childhood and like teenage trauma, like you just Mm -hmm. have to, you have to figure out some way to deal with it. And, and that I feel like in my family and, and the, the people I'm around is tends to be that. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
You know what? This is kind of unrelated to anything. But since I have you here and, and you're a veteran, you've been doing this from so many points of view for so long. How has the branding of genre mm-hmm. affected the desires for your creative output, what you're going to put out there and present and pitch as a filmmaker? I feel like you're often it, it still falls under the same category that I feel like it always has for me, where people who are holding the finances and executives and companies or whatnot, they they do tend to chase the trend of whatever the last success was Mm -hmm. so right now it's all like smile on barbarian you know right like that version of the thing um the amount of pr PR emails i got in the wake of get out that were like it's like get out meets x like people exactly i should be interested in something it's like you know what i'm sure that's exactly how the studio wanted it pitched to them when the director came to them and they were like so how is it get out though (laughs) yeah exactly like it's that's a big one too is that i i do feel like there's definitely like uh a tend for it to be almost dismissively referred to as like we're looking for our diverse horror movie you know and it's like but then it's like almost too superficially managed yeah, for what for what they're trying to present that as, and it's like this isn't really doing the thing that I think you think it's doing. Yes, yes. Like, there's a reason why this thing succeeded, and there's a lot of nuance in why it succeeded. Yes. And what we're talking about right now are flashcards. And yes. the the thing didn't su- the originating point of what we're discussing didn't succeed because of flashcards. Yeah, that's a that in a microcosm is like exactly what. I feel like it just across the board, it's whatever trend is occurring at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's always the flashcard version that they're looking for. So you're kind of pushed to like present your thing is like Mm -hmm. a little bit of that flashcard thing. So it's like, oh, it's got this that you like, you know, so it's (laughs) it's jingling the keys over here for the baby. Yes, that that really is it. And you're trying to like sneak in like a, a different kind of movie through that regard it's it's weird how it's like the the tail wags the dog in our yeah. industry in that way but then something else comes along and it's completely new and different and everyone's like oh we need that now we need that yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well as somebody who grew up as one of the weirdos mister and then because like the I, I find it like there's the when something jumps off and say it's barbarian which is weird barbarian is weird and crazy when people say, like, we want our barbarian, and they're, like, the behind-the-desk people, do they really, do you think they really mean it? Or do they, like, do they want something as weird as that? Can they embrace no. when they get that weird on the page? Are they, no. like, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, because my kind of sense is, like, well, we want our barbarian, but it's, like, but if you got your barbarian, would you make it? And I kind of am, like, I don't know that you would. Like, do you feel like you have the permission to be as weird as you have, like, maybe considered yourself to be at points in your life when you make your movies? Or are you kind of like, I want to, sh- I need to shoulder in that, I need to elbow in that weird still? I feel like I've had a chance to do that because the movies I've made have been very much in a lower budget range. Sure. So you have less oversight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're able to make, I think, kind of more individual weird stuff. Um, whereas once it gets to like, like a larger budget range, it's like everything is just a risk aversion. So like, what are all yeah. the little bells and whistles we can put on this to make it seem like this is not as much of a risk as it is mm-hmm. as any movie is. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like what they're looking for just in general. Whereas like if once you get like a big success, mm-hmm. then you can almost like, well, you're that thing. Yeah. You're the bell yeah. and whistle. So like you get, <laughs> yeah. get to make... 
you can get to make your, you know, uh, your your knives out after you make um, your Star Wars movie. And yeah. uh, then they trust you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I feel like any any studio should know what they've got coming. If it's like Richard Brake's going to be in this movie, they should all be like, well, then run for the fucking hills. Like anything could happen. He's one of those like human spoiler kind of people. I was watching I was watching an episode of Andor the other night and Stellan uh-huh. Skarsgård pops up on screen and I was like, I'm pretty sure Stellan's going to be a good guy in this. But the fact that he's Stellan Skarsgård means I'm never going to be able to trust it. It's like when you see Caleb Landry Jones and you're like, yeah. OK, Caleb, when's the other shoe going to drop? When are you going to yeah. reveal to me that you're the center of evil? Yeah, you're just too sketchy. You're too sketchy. Yeah. You're too unsettling. You're too unsettling. Um, so I guess like my my final question would be like to bring it back to to bring it back to the Daria of our point of origin. Do you does Dar because at the time Daria like she really fit the nineties despite mm-hmm. being like she was an outcast character, but she was so of her time that she was she was. There was still a mainstream quality about Daria. Like, there were so many girls out there that were like, oh, it me. I was more, mm-hmm. you know, I would have been, probably would have been a Quinn, honestly. But, like, a Jane in my heart sort of situation. Are, are there weirdos, mister, anymore? Or is weirdo the new normal? Because I, like I feel like all Gen Z is weird. They're all weird and gay. And that's amazing. That's a tough one. Because it's also, like, that's all of who I'm around, like, because I've been sure. doing all of these like teen movies or the mm-hmm. teen TV shows and they're, they're early twenties, you know, they're not teenagers, mm-hmm. but they're early twenties to mid twenties, late twenties. And they're all of that generation. Um, and they're much more aware of themselves and they're much more conscientious, I think to each other. But then again, this is like a very small cohort that I'm like sampling this from. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to tell, like if I went back to my rural high school, what are those kids like? Like, yeah. I wonder that. I wonder what's going on there. Out in I like, like I, I, I've thought for so long that I need to the, like go back to my high school journalism class and just like explore for myself. Like, go and do it to like to like talk to the kids ostensibly, but also to do like a covert mission of like, are the kids weirder now, or is there mm-hmm. like that desperate desire to conform? Because like the shit that teens post on like their genius TikTok videos that they put online, it's like you guys are kind of out of your minds and like putting it out there. So that tells me that like you're okay with it in a way that I don't know. We were so comfortable with a less censored version of ourselves when we were in high school intrinsically. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I don't think it was, I think it was a very conformist time too. of Just like trying to just fit within a certain thing so people like could categorize you in a way Mm -hmm. whereas it feels like all the walls of the categories have been taken down over the last like 15 years or so but i don't know maybe there's new categories that i just don't understand anymore there could be all new ones maybe like the weirdness it's like that is the new conformity (laughs) is your level of weirdness and if you're just like a kid who wants to like sit and read a book you're like an outcast who knows (laughs) Like if you don't know They're how to all like weirdos, TikTok dance, or you're like, you know, I don't want to make it that derivative or like that uh, distilled as a thing. But if you're not someone who wants to be on camera, like what does that make you in today's world? Do you feel like at this point in your career as a filmmaker, can you exist free of boxing? Or do you feel like you still fight against boxes of categorization? I don't know if I'll ever be able to get out of that because, you know, mm-hmm gender stuff 
it's hard to not, you know, be considered like that. And I, I feel like it's even at this point it's used as like, oh, you need you need another one, right? Like we got yeah. one. Yeah. So there's that like, do I exploit that in some way? Like, but I also don't want to be considered that. I also didn't know that that was something that was even considered until like five or six years ago. And then everybody just right. told me like how much more impossible it was to do the thing that I'm trying to do than I even thought it was. I was like wow. in an ignorance is bliss bubble, I think. And uh -huh. I prefer to be back there, to be honest. Mm. Um, so yeah, getting out of that category stuff. Also just, uh, you know, my category is like horror in yeah. general, which is like my thing, but that comes from like loving to be in an audience and be scared. Like, yeah, I would fucking love to rock like a rom-com fucking caper, like romancing <laughs> the stone style, you know, yes! rom-com caper, a romper. <laughs> I want to make my rompers, you know, just these big action caper rom-coms like that's I'd love to do that, but no one would ever think of me for something like that because it's, you know, I'm like, I'm still the misery chick. <laughs> you know what? I think there's nobody better to direct rompers than, <laughs> than a lifelong misery chick who has the perspective from the outside to innovate the genre from the inside. And I, I, I have unfortunately reached the end of my time. But so I just have to say thank you, Roxanne, for coming and talking to me about this. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. This went in directions I didn't expect and I am very grateful for. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> Thank you, Roxanne Benjamin. There's Something Wrong with the Children is now available to rent or buy on demand on pretty much any streaming service you like. You guys, you know where to find them. You have your preferences. And now, my one quick thing before I go. Next week, the Oscar nominations will come out. Uh, all of the horse racing will culminate in shortlisting on the way to the actual ceremony. Um, S.S. Rajamuli, maybe he'll get to go home? Maybe he won't. Maybe he will still be in L.A. for months more um, with NTR Jr. and Ram Sharon uh, just hustling for those nominations. I remember when I realized it was during the year Get Out was on its Infinity Press Tour toward the Oscars and I realized like when there was a new quote from Jordan Peele every day like from some different Q&A he was at from different screening he attended that was the year I realized that if you are in serious contention for an Oscar and you are trying to get that gold if you don't live in LA you're like not going home for a quarter like you are out here you have canapes to eat you have hands to shake you have panels to attend. You have you have elbows to rub. Like, if you don't live in L.A. and you are about that Oscar, I hope you have long-term housing because you are you are in this for a marathon. Um, hopefully, the Academy did do the right thing and that we will see justice for RRR and getting a Best Picture nomination because it deserves it. But what I'm here to discuss today is that yet again this year, because and we know this is true, like it's the only way it exists is like fan campaigning 
on Twitter, uh, common sense, the things we know in our heart to be true. But we're not going to see a nomination for Best Actress for Mia Goth and Pearl. We're not going to see that. We're not going to see a nomination for Rebecca Hall in Resurrection for Best Actress, even though... Like, she's basically, as far as I'm concerned at this point, like, neck and neck with Amy Adams for, like, where's her Oscar? Like, where's the Oscar for one of our great living actresses today? And it it will continue to be bullshit like it has been every other year. Much like Toni Collette should have, it should have been her neck and neck uh, in the final votes with her performance in Hereditary. It should have been Lupita Nyong'o's Oscar to lose for her work in Us. Uh, and she wasn't even nominated. They weren't even nominated. Uh, because horror is eeky. It's, it's, it's certainly exploded into the en masse consciousness. Um, you know, the boom very much, like, ex- the ushered in by, like, formalized by Get Out um, has yielded a wider embrace acceptance of, I think, expanded the fandom of horror from perhaps zones it had been relegated to in, in prior years. But as far as Oscar recognition goes, like, you know, Get Out got that screenplay Oscar, but it's still every year in terms of for the very formal awards, the, the you know, the tops and tails kinds of situations. It is a scream into the void if you want the best work in genre of a year to be, get the nod from the Academy as a most legitimate art form. Because, like, hey, guys, I saw Women Talking recently. What a wonderful... Go see Women Talking. Support that film. Support every single goddamn thing about it. Sarah Polly, all the actresses, everybody doing the work. Um, that movie, like, what's going on in that? What what Rooney Mara, what, what Judith Ivey, what Sheila McCarthy accomplish in that movie as actors... That's what fucking Mia Goth is doing in Pearl. And Michelle Yeoh should win the Best Actress Oscar this year. That is my firm and full conviction. But alongside her, in that short list of nominees, alongside her and almost assuredly Kate Blanchett, who you'll see it, like, we should be seeing Hall and Goth, like, right there with them. You all know it. I know it. It's so self-evident that shouting about it, it doesn't, it's not like going to make me sad that I'm not going to see it again because I don't need the Oscars legitimacy for me to know that these movies are good and these performances are are all-timers. But it is just so persistently boring to see the Academy constantly just shelve these works that we know are masterful and put them on this put them in this part of the pantry that's like, oh yeah, you know, that's that weird can of beans that like, we'll eat it if we're starving. But otherwise, like, it doesn't belong at the front of the pantry with the staples. It's not like, it's not a prized item. Well, go screw yourselves. Like, you are simply, you are simply depriving yourselves, you are depriving your institution, your viewers, people who still imbue your ceremonies with a shred of legitimacy and credibility, you're just depriving them of what was what was actually the best that year. And that's that's really too bad because um, what those two women in particular, Mia Goth and Rebecca Hall, accomplished this year in front of the camera was uh, titanic and brave and shocking and incredible. And nothing the Oscars do or don't do will change any of that. But it would just sure be nice if they could get off their duffs and do something a little more interesting a little more often. So 
nominate RRR for Best Picture at the very goddamn least, and then you better give Everything Everywhere All at Once that Best Picture Oscar on the day of. Like, that's just case closed. LaShawn Lynch for Best Supporting Actor. That, Supporting Actress, that is it. That is my one quick thing before I go. With a heavy heart, I know my superstar Mia Goth will not be getting that Oscar this year. But that is our show, and you can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod, or send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Eben. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.